Yeah, start. As long as you guys can see me, it's not really an issue. Waiting. Waiting. Jeez. Waiting, waiting, waiting. Waiting, waiting. Very good evening. I think we're all good now. I'll just double check. Uh, all got video? Yep. Looks like we got video over there. Good. All right. Very good evening, everybody. Um, welcome to this uh, Tuesday night. Uh... Welcome to episode five, Ron, now, of the Bemo podcast. Um, five and six weeks, which is always uh, very, very good. Very warm welcome. We've got an absolute packed show tonight. Um, uh, my intro is packed. My topics are packed. My opinion pieces are even more packed. And I swear when we get down to the opinion pieces, you guys are absolutely going to love all of it. Because it's top five TV shows... Recapping all my top 20 songs lists, uh, top 5 movies, and a sop story that I have about Delta Goodrum, which I think you guys would all be very much interested in. Um, let's start with a um, little bit of... Well, let's start where we always start, with the intro. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and my new interest of Sky News. Yes, so... Let's put it this way, I've been watching a lot of Sky News, and I've been watching a lot of Paul Murray, and I somehow am agreeing with what he's saying. Especially about, I'm not going to name any premiers, Palaszczuk, which goes to my second point. But, um, yeah, premiers don't get it. I, I highly commend what Scott Morrison's done. Palaszczuk, Andrews, and Berejiklian to a point, and South Australia, Western Australia, Tasmania to a point as well. Uh, they've all dropped the ball. Yeah, so there you go. No, but I've barely been enjoying Sky News and them ripping everyone to pieces. It's been absolutely brilliant viewing over the last few weeks. Um, but yeah, going to... Uh, say something now. Uh, Palaszczuk, open those bloody borders or want some Nando's? <laughs> open those bloody borders. I want to go to Rabina Town Centre with a couple of mates and get some Nando's. That's about all I freaking want in my life right about now. Other than something that's going to happen in a couple of weeks' time, which I'll let you know about very, very shortly. Um, but yeah, I need for Nando's, so let me in, Queensland. Let me in. I know it's pretty easy. You can just jigger a pass to get in anyway. But it's not that simple. <laughs> I don't really want to try and do that if I don't have to. Just open the border so I can drive up there and not have to get checked on the way through. But who knows? If I get who knows, I get bored enough, I might have to buy some I might have to just jiggy one up and buy some Nando's. Go up go up to Rabina and buy some Nando's. And go to Rabane Town Centre for the day. Do some shopping. Put some money in the Qu Queensland economy. This is what she just doesn't get. She just doesn't get how... There's a lot of people from south of the border or from other states that do want to go to Queensland and spend a lot of money in Queensland, but they're... Yeah. Mate, you're missing a massive opportunity there. Um, Today, um, a year ago, I was... At uh, this time, I was on a plane going to Los Angeles. Uh, I went to Orlando this time last year, um, 
and then I landed the following, well, whatever day it was, <laughs> and then went to, um, took me a day to get Dallas-Fort Worth, and yeah. So yeah, I went to Orlando uh, today, a year ago. How different the place is in a year. Jeez. If I was going over now, I'd be bloody shit scared of coronavirus and anarchy, pretty much. Um, I don't really want to go too much into that. Um, other than just to say, I understand and I fully support the movements being made and they are necessary movements being made but the anarchy and the looting and the violence and the destroying of cities is not really the way forward but yeah so crazy in a year how I could go to the states last year and no issues at all have a absolute ball of a time go to Universal Studios do my conference have five hours at Dallas Fort Worth and just love life and, yeah, so different in a year. It really is. Okay. July 1. If you are in Ballina, working in Ballina Airport, going through Ballina Airport, good news. So, Ballina, this week we're only getting one flight. Next week we get f- three flights. Next three, next week we're up to three. We're only getting one. We're only getting one on Thursday this week. The next week we get... Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and then after that we get Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, up until July 1, and then we get three flights a day, and I cannot wait, I cannot wait for three flights a day, it is the best thing to ever happen to me, because I am starting to get sick of this, even though I did go out on Friday night, and that was the best thing that happened to me in about a year and a half, but I am starting to get sick of sitting on my ass and doing nothing. I'm not complaining that I'm getting paid for it, but I wouldn't like uh, uh, Yeah, it feels wrong at the same time. I'd much rather work. I'd much rather get back to doing four or five days a week in Ballina. I can't wait. I really cannot wait. Yeah, so we're getting three flights a day from July 1, four flights a day from next week. No, week after next. So, yeah. So there you go. Um, I know all my workmates are very much pleased about that. They're not. But, deal with it. <laughs> That's mine. Mate, I can't wait. I can't wait. As I said, I love being the bearer of bad, good news. In a way. I just love it. I love my life. Um, but I love it more when I'm doing four days work. So, yeah. Gives me a, gives me a, re, gives me a purpose. That's pretty much what it is at the end of the day. And finally, a fitness update. So, I went for a 20k bike ride yesterday. Took me 57 minutes without stopping to do an Instagram post. Um, so that was good. That was really good fun. Um, uh, pretty much did two loops of Evan's Ed. That was good fun on the bike. Starting to get fit. And then I did two beep tests this afternoon, but really, those two beep tests was really nothing. If we did it on the proper surface first time, I think we could have got a seven and a half. I could have got up to my seven and a half, but did it on a really crap surface at the oval and I could get five and a half and then we did it again on that really nice surface and I got 5.2 so yeah it's a real shame but no 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 so I'm getting fit but I'm not losing any weight at the moment it is really really difficult yeah it is very very difficult all right now to the topics we'll start with Virgin Australia um so 
Uh, are we going to... Okay, so... In pretty much... I've had three stories with Virgin come through in the last week. I'm going to whittle them down to one. We pretty much only got just the one story left, and that is... A bank capital and serious capital have been confirmed as the final bidders for Virgin Australia. Um, <clears throat> that is coming as of three hours ago. Um, last minute. Um, so Bain Capital um, is a sh in the box seat to grab... Um, well, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, let me have a look through this. Um, yeah, so Bain Capital... Uh, is emerging a short price favourite among multiple media outlets. The Boston-based private equity group has been adversely promoting its proposal in the run-up to today's announcement. Um, <clears throat> and they also wanted to take Virgin Blue back in the day. Um, the firm is also has a record of slashing workforce and making Virgin's 10,000-plus employees and their unions nervous. Um, Jane Hurtlicker, which is a... Oh, yeah. On board the Bean bandwagon is Jane Hurtlicker. So she used to be uh, CEO of Jetstar back in the day. And, yeah, then she left the industry. Um, and... But if they win, she might be taking over Virgin Australia. And guess what? That'd be a very good person to take over Virgin Australia. She did wonders with Jetstar when she was there. Um... Yeah, so they've got 60 people working on their bid. Um, and, yeah. So, there you go. So, yeah, we're down to two um, two bidders for Virgin Australia. Uh, Bain Capital and Cirrus Capital. And we'll see where that goes. But by the sounds of it, Virgin aren't in too bad of a position. So, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see what happens. We will just have to wait and see what happens. But... Um, future's looking brighter for Virgin, and, but once they do announce who's going to take over, we'll see whether, um, whether it starts causing problems with, with their restructuring plan, whether they're going to slash aircraft, whether they're going to slash, uh, routes, whether they're going to slash workforce. That's just a wait and see. Uh, Tiger Air, I don't know what's going on with Tiger Air. Tiger Air is going to have to be a wait and see. Um, until after the takeover, I, geez, it's very hard to make a really confirmed position on Tiger. I don't think we'll see Tiger come back from this. They weren't profitable at the time. Um, their pilots were technically let go at the start of this. I don't think it's in Virgin's best interest to keep Tiger Air around, personally. Again, that's up to that's up to the new. Uh, they'll be up to the new owners, whoever that's going to be, um, and yeah, and that might be another. I don't know when the um, when Virgin's going to make uh, when they're going to make a final decision on that. It might be, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, let me have a look. Yeah, it's not really saying anywhere. They're saying a time frame for that. So yeah, moving on. Why do cargo operators fly older planes? Well, you do have to remember, the A300, the older 767s, the MD-11s, um, are all... Well, look at the fleets. 
the M oh sorry, not the MD-11s, the MD-10s. These aircraft are 40 plus years old, 45, 47 years old in some cases. FedEx's fleet of aircraft averaged 20.7 years, while the average in the aviation industry for most airlines is about four years. Three to four years, three to five. UPS is 19.8. They operate A300s and 747s, but like um, early-ish model 400, model 74s. Um, DHL, 22.3 years, um, with some branches operating a fleet of average of 35 plus. Cargo Lux is very new. They've got an all-Boeing 747 carrier. Most of them are, um, yeah, newer 400s and... Um, uh, yeah, newer four hundreds and uh, a dash eights, and Atlas Air is twenty three point three years. Fifty percent of its fleet is nearing thirty years old. While compared to the airline competition, Emirates is seven point one, Qantas is eleven point five, um, Singapore six point six, BA is thirteen point six, but they've got a lot of those really old triple seven two hundreds in their fleet. American eleven point three, but. Well, the 757s are gone, but 320s are a little bit older. While Starlux, a new airline out of, um, oh, where are they? I think they're somewhere in Asia. They're four months, but they've only got like three aircraft, two or three aircraft. Yeah. But yeah, then you've got, but that's the thing. These cargo carriers are running older aircraft because they could sort of afford to. Um, like the MD-10, some of their MD-10s were built in the 70s. But they still fly. Um, passenger airlines have, it's all about margin at the end of the day. It really is <clears throat> why passenger air, airlines have to run newer, more fuel efficient aircraft and are look, seeking to do that compared to, um, airlines that, compared to cargo that have a much higher margin and make more money off their flights that can afford to run older, but more cargo orientated aircraft like DC like MD tens, MD elevens, um, already converted older model seven three seven, seven six sevens, that sort of thing. Um, Singapore Airlines is looking at uh, further route expansion. Um, uh, after it's come a week after uh, Chengi Airport ends its ban on transit passengers. Um, they will be resuming some select services to Adelaide, Amsterdam, Auckland, Barcelona, Brisbane, Cebu, um, Christchurch, Copenhagen, Hong Kong, Medan, um, Melbourne, Osaka, and Sydney. Yes, that's a good kickstart for Singapore Airlines. If you've wanted to fly Singapore, well, well, yeah, there's that. <laughs> Even though we have no reason to fly out of the country at the moment, but yeah, Singapore Airlines is Good to see them back because a strong Singapore Airlines means a very, very competitive international flying market, which is always brilliant for everybody. Um, next up, Air Canada has now resumed US flying, but where is they flying in the United States? Um, so Air Canada have been flying, they've been flying a lot into Australia. I don't think they ever stopped flying into Brisbane and Sydney and Melbourne. Um, but they're flying into the United States. They've resumed their services into LaGuardia, New York, um, Washington, Dallas, uh, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Boston, and Chicago. Um, but by 
but by the US Embassy, you can really only enter the country if you're on worker study, critical infrastructure, economic services and supply chains, health and immediate medical care, and safety and security. So, yeah, there you go. But Air Canada's back up and running, flying to the United States as well, so that's good for anybody who's ever flown Air Canada into the United States, like myself. I don't need to now, but I've done it. Right on the Air Canada route, uh, these are the oldest Airbus A320s flying passengers. I was on a very old one. Very old one. Um, so, the oldest Airbus A320 in operation is being flown by Jordan Aviation, which is a regional airline based in Amman, Jordan. The Rego Juliet Yankee Juliet Alpha Charlie, first flown in 1989, is a 30... One-year-old Airbus A320, and it was originally an ANSET aircraft. Anyone who remembers ANSET. Um, while a leasing company in South Africa maintains two 31-year-old A320s, um, after that there's a heap. There's 30-year-old Lufthansa A320s, and Delta have some 30-year-old A320s that used to be US Air, um, Northwest fleet, um, and then Air Canada. Air Canada have some 30-year-old Airbus A320s as well. I flew, when I flew Air Canada, I flew on a now 29-year-old um, A320. It was C-FTJS, and it was delivered in sometime in 1991. When I jumped on board, I was like, oh, I don't really want to fly on a plane this old for six hours from eastern Canada through to San Francisco, but... It was passable. That would be the word of the day. I would say it was passable. Absolutely passable. Um, okay, what are the what types of aircraft are flying the most right now? Well, should be pretty easy to see that we're more looking at well. Mainly the long-haul aircraft are mainly being used for repatriation and or uh, cargo operations. So you'll see a lot of A350, 787, bit of 777 work. Not much 747, even though they own... Well, that's that passenger, though. That's passenger aircraft. Um, yeah. There's not much going on apart from that. Um, they're most, but then you've also, but then you don't really have a lot of A320s and 737s flying. You got a few, but you, but domestic flying, even in most countries, is uh, heavily uh, destroyed. But there's not a lot of passenger 747s flying because there is no demand, no um, need for it. Moving on, United Airlines um, does not know when demand will bounce back. I don't think anybody does at the moment. Um, yeah, so their CEO has said that they do not know when their when demand will bounce back to pre-COVID levels. Yeah, it's pretty simple to work out. But saying that, um, they've also eyed a big boost to their international schedule. Um, reopening schedules to um, uh, destinations across the Caribbean and Latin America, Hong Kong, Seoul, Tokyo, and Singapore. Um, and also restarting flights at Newark and Dallas 
um, to Amsterdam, Frankfurt, London, Tel Aviv, um, and three times weekly to Paris. From July, United Airlines will fly four times a week to Dublin, daily to Delhi, Montego Bay, Nassau, Putacana, Santiago, Santo Domingo, and Aguadilla. And existing flights from uh, Tokyo and Narita from Newark will increase daily from, I think it was four weekly that they were on before. While out of Dallas, they'll be flying daily to Frankfurt. And from July, they'll be flying to Brussels, Zurich, London. So, and, yeah, so, and then there's also Houston resumptions, which are San Jose, Cancun, and some other place. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... So that just shows that they're... And then also United, San Francisco, and Chicago. Uh, San Francisco at a, uh, will be running Narita and Sydney. And, yeah, there you go. And that's pretty much about it. Um, so, yeah, demand starting to return for uh, United, but, as I say, we'll take time. The CEO doesn't know when it will come back. No, I don't think anybody does. Moving on. American Airlines, another airline that is resuming flights, they are resuming their DFW Hong Kong service, which is one of their flagship services, and it's something that really needed to do that, um, as Asia is slowly reopening to all airlines, um, including American, but, uh, include all the American airlines, but Hong Kong, probably not the greatest place to go to right now after what's happened. What's going on with them in China, but I'm not going to go into that. Next. Could Boeing be close to ending 747 production? It's not an individual commercial passenger 747 that one... one uh, yeah. Their respective airlines... Yeah. Okay, let me just read through this. <laughs> um, so 747s um, that are still being built. There are some which are get, being built for cargo airlines. Um, could take at least two more years, but then once um, a build rate of 0.5 an aircraft a month, the 7478 program is more than two years of production ahead of it to fulfill our current customer commitments. We continue to make the right decisions to keep the production line healthy and customer needs, a spokesperson from Boeing. Um, uh, yeah, so UPS are waiting for 13, but... Yeah, it's sad that the 7.4s will only fly with cargoes very, very shortly. And there's a nice photo on the article that shows a black and white photo of an old Qantas 7.4-7200 in what I still respect as probably the second best livery in history. Yeah. Yep, so probably another two more years for the 7.4-7 production line, which, in all fairness, will beat the A380 production line. So that's all that, um, all that matters at the end of the day. Southwest Airlines ranks highest for customer satisfaction in North America. This I did see coming because American Airlines is usually a cluster for um, for airline satisfaction. There isn't a lot of satisfaction. But what Southwest are doing and their CEO Gary Kennedy are doing is absolutely brilliant at the moment. They're really enthusiastic. They're really happy. The way that they suss everything out and the way they do their flying and the way they do their boarding and all that sort of stuff is really, really good. So I'll give exactly what 
um, they want. And Southwest are an excellent airline. Excellent. They come top. Um, second was, let me have a look, JetBlue, followed by Alaska. Both excellent airlines. It just shows these newer, smaller airlines are beating out these legacy carriers hand over fist at the moment. Um, but then Delta's not too far behind those, but Delta is up their game massive. I love flying Delta. I really do. I fly, I've flown with Delta quite a bit when I was over in the States last time, and I highly recommend it. You go in the States, fly Delta, do it. Um, then below that would be WestJet and Air Canada, so the two Canadian entries are below that. Um, uh, both solid airlines, don't get me wrong, WestJet's really good, Air Canada's really good as well. And then you got American not far below that. Uh, not, oh no, American actually above Air Canada. That is surprising, because Americans sort of have a reputation for the exact opposite. But in all fairness, when I flew flown American last year, they were pretty good. When I flew them the time before that, they weren't so great. Uh, and then your low cost, low cost, low cost, uh, and United. <laughs> uh, then you got Spirit and Frontier and United down the bottom, but United's always been not very good. Um, and they're doing not much at the moment to change that. Um, yeah, as I say, Matt, the Legacy Airlines sit in the middle, and Southwest, JetBlue, and Alaska sit right at the top, and that's exactly the way I've expected it to be for the last five or seven years now. All those, those three airlines are exceptional. Uh, but Delta are there and there about as well. And that's where it all matters at the end of the day. With customer satisfaction anyway. Emirates operations predictions is the next point. Uh, Emirates expects the entire Airbus A380 fleet to be flying by 2022. All 100 and potentially 14, 124 of them. Um... Yeah, so Emirates is expecting demand to rise by in the next two years, so all 100, 100 of them can yeah get back in service, um, flying all those flights they used to fly. The yeah, the A three eighty for Emirates is forty five percent of their fleet. I mean the airline to retire all the type is just not economically viable, not going to be possible, and a very stupid move if you were to do that. They're not going to do it. But they have to wait for the demand to come back and the viability of those aircraft before they do bring them back. So there you go. Yeah, so that's half of that. The other half was um, Emirates uh, could take until 2024 to return to normality, which is pretty much what everyone's been saying. 2023, 2024 is where we're looking at the airline industry going back to complete normality. Um, coming from Tim Clark, he said that he thinks the industry could begin to recover in terms of passenger travel sometime next year, should a vaccine be made readily available. However, you also expect the belief that a return to pre-corona business levels could be as far away as 2024. Um, yeah, and it's just... Um, the Emirates has also warned that there is probably going to be job losses 
And yeah. Yeah, and that's about that. But if there's a vaccine available, everything should hopefully go back to normal pretty quick. But maybe this time next year, by the time we are anywhere close to a vaccine, very much sadly. Yeah. So there we go. Next. Why Brian and Embraer is great now. Yes. Aircraft. Um, so Embraer, if you don't know, is a Brazilian aircraft maker. I've flown on their ERJ-175. Not too bad of an aircraft. It has its quirks to it. Um, Embraer sees no cancellations and believes it has a stable production program. Yes. Um, the CEO of Embraer has stated... Are we at this point have uh we at this point of time uh have a quite stable situation. We have seen some deferrals but no cancellations. We might have some changes in the following months depending on the progress of how this crisis evolves, but at this point in time we believe our situation is quite stable in terms of production program for twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. Because they um let me just have a look. They've got a They'd have quite a few orders because they're in a very demanding part of the industry. Regional jets, the 75 to about 150 seat market is very, very demanding. And yeah. Um, with that, they're also looking at developing a turboprop to take on the ATRs and the um, Dash 8s of the world as well. Um, it would be, yeah, it'd be trying to hit that 70-seater market, which, yeah, give it a shot. Mate, I've got no um, no issues with that, but um, at least as long as it doesn't take on its former Embraer 120 that sat 30 passengers and wasn't that great, um, I think they can do a very good job of that. I think they're very good at what they're doing. Yeah, and Embraer Aircrafts, why are they perfect for airlines right now? Well, here's, the, here's where we could look at. Could Embraer be the solution for airlines looking to break back into recover to the recovering air uh, market? <laughs> uh, the smaller, um, fuel-efficient aircraft like the 190, the 175. If you, uh, probably more fuel-efficient to run, cheaper to run, and easier to fill than a 320. But then you've got social distancing, which is another main issue. So yeah, but Embraer have really made an art form of of trying to get these aircraft down to a level where they're so cheap to buy because they're only half the price, less than half the price of a 737 or a A320. Uh, this is an E190, by the way. But they hold a just under maybe 10, 20% less seats. But are just, but yeah. Are just a really good aircraft to buy. But Embraer have their stiff competition from Airbus and their A220, which is a brilliant aircraft. If you ever get a chance to fly on an A220, do it. It's an unbelievable aircraft, the A220. Absolutely love it. Um, Yeah. But the A220, I think, is looking like an aircraft that's going to be very well regarded for the next few years as well. So, nah. So, Embraer, Airbus, that's a very good market to be in. Boeing just sold its stake in Embraer. And it's pulled its deal with Embraer, I should say. Big mistake, I feel. Boeing have just shot themselves in the foot again. And then, Australia's plan to restart 
international travel. Australians could be permitted to travel freely to New Zealand and vice versa as soon as September. Um, under this proposal, Australian and New Zealand citizens will be allowed to travel between the two countries without having to enter a mandatory quarantine. Um, so international travel guidelines and New Zealand is looking like an immediate restart in around about stage three of the coronavirus plan the government's laid out. Um, uh, domestic travel is under stage two, which we uh, just hit. We've just hit stage two. July 1 was the start of stage two, which you can see the ramping up of domestic travel. Like in Ballina, we are the busiest non-city in Australia right now. We are mo by far the busiest regional port in Australia right now. And as of July 1, we're going to be the busiest domestic port. We're going to be a very, very busy domestic port. Um, probably still the busiest regional domestic port. I don't think we're going to be bigger than any of the cities, but um, we're going to be very, very busy. But back to the point. International travel to other safe countries are looking like stage four, which is end of the year. Um but then could be also later into stage five, and then all international travel... Oh, sorry, I have dates. Uh, yeah, so 5th of June is stage two, so yeah, domestic travel. 1st July is stage is looking like where you could see an immediate restart, but it won't be that early. For NZ and Pacific, uh, other safe countries could be 10th of September, 15th of October, depending on the um, severity level, and then all is looking like the 15th of December on their chart. This is the only proposal by the Australian Chamber of Tourism. Don't really know what's going to happen there. Pretty much. Yeah, but... <clears throat> I think we're looking pretty good at the moment. Yeah, so there you go. There you go. Get your plans to going to um, places, hopefully by the end of the year, but... I'd love to go to New Zealand but this year, but I don't know. It depends. It depends what I want to do. I don't know. I think I might wait a year or two before I go back. Before I go international travelling. I've got a very busy end of the year with touch football anyway, by the looks of it. And last aviation-related topic for the evening. How American Airlines' CEO brightened a Southwest Flight Attendance Day. Doug Parker, the CEO of American Airlines, made one Southwest Airlines flight attendance day after an in-flight chat. A few days ago, Doug Parker flew Southwest Airlines. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, on a trip on board, he made a flight attendant struck conversation about race and optimistic tone for the future. Um, Southwest flight attendant uh, posted about the encounter on a personal Facebook page. In it, she described going to work one day, feeling heavy about the current events. However, on her first flight, everything changed. During boarding, she saw a man holding a book entitled White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism. Mid-flight, after her service duties had completed, she went to the man and spoke about the book. At the end of the conversation, Doug Parker introduced herself to... Uh, was it Jackie Ray? Um, it turns out that Jackie Ray's mother works for American Airlines out of D.C. The two had a discussion, both felt they walk away... With a great experience. At the end of the flight, Mr. Parker left a handwritten note for Jack, Jackie Ray, and they both took a photo um, during deplaning. 
and there we go. Yeah, uh, on the um, if you want to see that, you can see it on the um, uh, on the article on Simple Flying. Um, yeah, yeah. So the CEO of American Airlines. Um, we all know what's been going on in America. Um, the aviation industry in the United States has also been affected by this, of course, because Minneapolis. You gotta remember Minneapolis. Uh, Detroit, I haven't heard much about Detroit, but Detroit, Atlanta, Los Angeles, all major Delta hubs. Delta have been ravaged by this. Uh, American, not so much, but American, uh, yeah. Um, Delta CEO's, Delta's CEO, Ed Bastian, released a statement on the events unfolding in Minnesota and pushed Delta to champion diversity, equity, and inclusion. The president of the Association of Flight Attendants, uh, which is another way of saying the flight attend- one of the flight attendants unions, um, also released a statement pushing for more diversity and inclusion. Um, flying has a strange effect. Yes, it does. It bring- can bring out the best and the worst in people. Um, but at the end of the day, aviation connects people and culture. This interaction between Doug Parker and Jackie Ray just shows how much people can be brought together. And it does. It really does. The main other question, though, is why the hell was Doug Parker flying southwest? But sometimes you don't have a choice. Sometimes you have to fly another carrier. Um, I don't know whether he could be doing it. Um, uh, he could be doing it for a way of just um, intrigue. He could be doing it because that's the direct flight he needed. There's, but... Southwest has a few advantages on American. Um, you can pick any seat you want on the aircraft. You just pay for your boarding group or boarding number, your number in line. Uh, free bags, which you don't get in America. If you've ever flown in America, you will know that you have to pay $30 for a checked bag. It is horrible. You pay for your ticket and you have to pay them $30 for your checked bag at check-in. It's horrible. Um... Yeah, and no advanced seat selection. Um, but, yeah. But, of course, most Dove geeks, if, um, yeah, would recognise Doug Parker right there. But, yeah, just appears he's trying to be like any other average person. Well, there you go. Even if South, uh, Southwest Fly Tent didn't pick up on him, which is... Well, he was wearing a mask, so there you go. It might be a bit difficult. But, now I've... Everything I've heard about um, Doug Parker... He used to be CEO of America West, and then America West merged with U.S. Airways, and then then U.S. Airways merged with American. Um, he's a great CEO, absolutely unbelievable CEO. In all fairness, very happy he took over from Horton because I didn't like Horton very much. And that's it with that. Okay, now we are going to move very quickly on to quite a somber little topic. So. My association with Delta Goodrum. Let's put it this way. Um, by the way, I've never met Delta Goodrum. I'll just put that straight out there. I've always wanted to. I really, really want to meet Delta one day. Really, really do. Um, so, back in 2015, when I got out of the military, um, I think when I got back to Evans, one of the first songs I remember hearing was she just released Wings. I remember hearing that song, and I remember thinking to myself, this is incredible. What an amazing song. And it got me through those really tough times 
of me thinking of that where you don't really know where you stand in the world. You've just dropped out of military. Um, you've just discharged. You've just, yeah, you, you've got all those overwhelming emotions. But, yeah. But then, yeah, going back through Delta's back catalogue, it was always there and it really did help at that time. I really do believe that, yeah, Delta, that, yeah, that Delta um, song really did bring out another side of me and it was a really influential song to then the next part of my life. And then 2016, I went, I've, I've got all of her albums, I've got a special edition of her um, Wings of the Wild album. I've got the DVD of Wings of the Wild. I went and saw her live up in Brisbane on Remembrance Day 2016. So I remember doing Remembrance Day and then I remember after that jumping in my car and heading up to Brisbane and watching her live, which was unbelievable. She's unbelievable live. If you ever get a chance to do it, go and do it. Um... Yeah, so it's, yeah, no, I've, yeah, I owe Delta a lot, I really do owe Delta a lot, so, yeah, I would love to meet her and tell her that one day, but we'll see what happens, we will see what happens, yeah, yeah, I thank her for a lot of things, actually. Okay, recapping my top 20 songs of, uh, songs lists from the last few years, we're going to include 2007, Turn 7 was my favourite song was... 2007 was actually quite an influential music year for me. 2007, 2008. Uh, the top song for me with Turn 7 was Straight Lines by Silverchair. Unbelievable song. Absolutely unbelievable song. Uh, 2014, I only had two songs on my list for 2014. That was... Um, uh, well, first was Jack You, Take You There. And then second was Ark. Uh, arc by We Are The o uh, Yeah, We Are The Ocean. Yeah, I, both unbelievable songs, by the way. So 2015, sadly I can't really show you the list because I'm still not on OBS, but um, yeah, Ben's top 20, 2015. Winner was, I'll just give you the top five. So Wings Came First by Delta Goodrum from Sorry by Justin Bieber, which, take that back five years, I never would have thought that would have ever happened, but yeah. Then To You by Jack You, and, and then Where Are You Now by Jack You, and then The Thrill by Nero. Honorable mentions is Macklemore and Ryan Lewis in about seventh, in seventh, and yeah, that's about it for that year. 2016 was very interesting. 2016 was all Delta Goodrum that year. It was The River... From Enough, from Feline, from Heavy, from Just Call. Top five, all Delta Goodrums with Kygo and Kogo, Kygo raging in sixth. 21 parts, Heathens in seventh. And my first ever Delta Good, uh, Dua Lipa song, Blow Your Mind in eighth. Working for it by Zoo in ninth and then Send Them Off by Bastille in tenth. 2016 was a weird year, but then the second half really kicked butt. But even then, Delta Goodrum could still win the top five. It was not that great of a year. 2017. Lord won the top two. So Lord with Green Light and Lord with Perfect Places were one and two. Glorious by Michael Moore was three. Unforgettable by French Montana was four. 
Um, ready for it by Taylor Swift was five. Again, 2017 was a better year, but still not that great of a year. Um, 2018, 2018 was a good year for music. Absolutely brilliant year. And here's how my list went in 2018. It went One Kiss came first, probably still... Well, yeah, we'll go to the decade list in a second. So, One Kiss by Calvin Harris and Dua Lipa first. Electricity by Silk City and Dua Lipa second. Um, Jumpsuit by 21 Pilots third. Happier by Marshmallow Bastille fourth. Saturday Sun by Vance Joy fifth. Um, and then 2019, last year was a... Oh, last year was not a great year for music at all. Very difficult year to really get through. Very, very difficult year to get through last year. Um, top five was Dual Leaper, Don't Start Now. Oh, no, very, no, let me put it this way. Very bad first half of the year, very good second half. A lot of years are sadly like that. This year's been the same. Don't Start Now by Dual Leaper from Castles by Freya Ridings. And then uh, Giant by Rag and Bone Man and Calvin Harris in third. Woke Up Late by Drax Project and um, Hallie Steinfeld in fourth. Only Human by uh, Jonas Brothers in fifth. Um, Mendoza PC Heart sixth. There's a lot of really... There's, it, the second half really was good. Um, but yeah, still 2019, not a great year. 2020 at the moment, we're nearly halfway through. I've only got four songs on the list. <laughs> this is looking like another 2016 where Dual Lieber could win, very much win, three years on the run. Delta Goodrum's won two. Jewel Leaper could win three years on the trot. For after Future Nostalgia, she has well the top four positions at the moment are Break My Heart from Hallucinate from Levitating from Blinding Lights by the Weekend. That's the way it's looking right now. And then my decade list, which is a top forty list, is one kiss one uh top we'll go the top ten. Uh, the top 10, where does 10th start? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Beautiful. Yeah, Me and You by Nero in 10th. Panic at Disco, Hey Look Ma, I Made It in 9th. Greenlight by Lord in 8th. Blind Faith by Chasing Stars in 7th. Great song from 2010. Um, when We Come Alive by Switchfoot in 6th. We the Ocean Arc in 5th. Little Black Submarines by Black Keys in fourth. Don't Start Now by Jewel Leaper in third. Wings by Delta Goodrum in second. And then One Kiss from Calvin Harris and Jewel Leaper was the best song of the decade for me. Really was. Standout song. But some there's are some other brilliant songs on the top 40 list. Um, you have full access to my um, uh, Spotify as well to have a look at any of these lists. Uh... There's posts in on my Facebook and Instagram where you can go and actually have a look at these lists. Um, yeah, they're absolutely unbelievable. All right, moving on. Um, top five television shows of all time for me. From fifth, Kath and Kim. What unbelievable program that is. Gina Riley and Jane Turner are magnificent. Gina Riley singing in that show, that just that intro of Gina Riley is unbelievable. Um, Gar- Glenn Robbins as Kel Knight is just a crack up. Uh, it's just an amazing show. If you have never watched Kath and Kim, why haven't you? You should go and watch it. It is so funny. 
It's just unbelievable. Fourth, Family Guy. Um, Family Guy is fourth. Um, again, very brilliant show. Seth MacFarlane really hasn't put a foot wrong overly with this show. Uh, my favourite episode of Family Guy was season 16, episode 1, which is called their Emmy-winning episode. If you haven't watched it, go and watch it. It is so funny. It's actually not that crude, but it is very, very funny. Very, very funny. Uh, best season of Family Guy, by the way, is season 15. Very good season. They did a very good job with that season. Um, third, South Park. South Park had to be there somewhere, mate. South Park, best episode. I've watched this like three times in the last like two days. It's season 14, episode 7, which is titled Crippled Summer. It's um where Jimmy Volmer... No, so yeah. It's where Nath... Where they have Cripple Camp. Um, Crippled Summer Camp. Uh, disabled Camp Summer Camp. Let me... Try and word it properly. Disabled summer camp, and they go out and they're into two teams for the challenges that they do at this camp. And then Nathan, who's another one of these kids, was captain of the other team. He hates Jimmy Volmore with a passion. And tries to kill him. Every, and then his, but he got his sidekick, his number two, to do all the work, and he just stuffed everything up and got. Nathan completely destroyed. It is so funny. That's the B plot, by the way. The A plot is Towley. Towley, heavily addicted to everything under the sun, and then gets interventioned by um uh, by the boys, and then goes in rehab and ends. And the episode ends with him saying, "I'm uh, just starting to uh um I'm starting to accept who I am." I'm a towel. It is it is a great episode. If you haven't watched it, watch it. Best season of South Park by far, season eight. Season eight, um, Passion of the Jew, um, Some Way This Walmart Comes. Um, I can't remember what the other episodes are in season eight, but season eight is a standout season of South Park. Standout season of any television show, by the way. Number two is Top Gear 2002. So we're not talking about earlier Top Gear. We're not talking about the new Top Gear with everyone that isn't those three Muppets. No, we're talking about Top Gear 2002. I can't say anything about episodes or seasons. They all run after another. Cannot say anything about that. I tried really hard to narrow it down. I can't do it. Best special, though, for me, is them driving those trucks through Burma. Burma's a brilliant special. Sums up the show very well. Very funny. Yeah, brilliant show. Has to be just an amazing, amazing show. I just love it. I really, really do love Top Gear. And always have and always find that as my going back to point. Top Gear. If I get bored, I end up watching Top Gear or Grand 2 or something along those lines. But my favourite television show ever made is Brooklyn Nine-Nine, by some considerable margin. Um, those cops are just something else. They really are. Um, they're so funny. They are so engaging. I f- 
I've watched every episode probably at least 20 times. It is just an amazing television show. Best season for me, season five by a country mile. Season five of Brooklyn Nine-Nine is by far the best. Best episode, Jake and Amy, season five, episode 22, which is the last episode of season five, which is their wedding. Not going to spoil it for you. Absolutely unbelievable. Go and watch it. Makes it hit you here. I'm just waiting for a relationship myself that is as good as that. I want it to happen, but we'll see. Honorable mentions go to Border Securities. Border Security, Australia, USA, Canada, whatever. But no, Border Securities is so fun to watch. You can watch an hour or two hours of them. It's like, ooh, here's someone trying to bring some uh, plant material into Australia or something like that. It is so funny, though. I love watching Border Security. It is unbelievably funny. Same as Police 107. I'm not going to do anything about Police 107 because I will piss off some Kiwis. But yeah, just a whole bunch of police in Kiwiland getting absolutely destroyed. Um, also saying, honorable mention for cop shows, I would also say Highway Patrol, which is a Victorian one, is very, very good. And even Cops has its moments. Um, Grand Tour is an honorable mention because you have to. It's those three idiots. Not. As good as Top Gear. I couldn't put it in the same bracket as Top Gear. But it's a different show pretty much entirely. But it's good. Um, best episode, season 1, episode 12. Which is uh, Censored to Censored. Very funny. Them taking those three cars through. The Romantic Road. Pretty much uh, a journey through life and a journey through a relationship. Very much disgusting, but yeah. Best special by far Namibia season one. Absolutely brilliant special where they drove the um beach buggies through Namibia. Unbelievable. Uh air crash investigation. Well, if it wasn't for air crash investigation, I wouldn't be in the industry right now. Air crash investigation, season one, episode two, best episode ever made of air crash. It was the crash in a little rock. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. Seriously. You've had the you've had seventeen years to watch it. Why haven't you watched it? Yes, watch that MD-80 into Little Rock. All I'm going to say. American Airlines as well. There's a there's a reason why all these things happen. Got a massive fascination with American Airlines. Got a massive fascination with air, aviation. Thanks to Season 1, Episode 2 of, America, of Air Crash Investigations. I saw Truckers now. I saw Truckers was good for like four seasons. I think there's really only good four good seasons of out of the 11 of Ice Roads. Um, the, Dol- the two seasons on Dalton were pretty good. Um, tucked season two was okay. Season one was by far the best season. By far the best season. Still watch season one. Still highly enjoy watching season one of um, uh, Ice Road Truckers. And then I say everything by Gordon Ramsay. So Hotel Hell, um, Kitchen Nightmares, Hell's Kitchen. Because Gordon Ramsay is just such an interesting person to watch. I love Gordon Ramsay. I love everything he does. I find him a fascinating person. I really do. But just the way he can just lose his absolute mind at anybody at any moment is just hilarious. Someone does something wrong in Hell's Kitchen. Mate, I've have sat in there and watched like two and a half hours of him just losing his shit at people in Hell's Kitchen in one sitting. It is amazing. Um, Two and a Half Men, mate, Chuck Law's best show. Two and a Half Men was his best show. Uh, for season one's date. 
a lot of people didn't like Walden. Yeah, it was a quiet taste. I didn't mind him, but he was definitely different to Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen made the show. It's never going to be the same without him. I don't think it worked without him personally, but like the last season was just a train wreck. The last episode was a train wreck, but um, last episode was a bit of a mockery actually to the show. But um, the first eight seasons, two and a half men were just so funny. John Cry is just unbelievable in that show. He really is so funny. Um, and then MXC. Now, if you guys don't know what MXC is. And you probably will not know the basis of MXC, which is Takeshi's Castle. Now, Takeshi's Castle um, was an old Japanese game show made in the 90s. So, what MXC did was cut heaps of every episode of Takeshi's Castle, but it was still in line with the episodes of Takeshi's Castle, and then just added American voiceover to that show. The result, for Year 7 me, was unbelievably funny. <laughs> like, just the teams they put together. Gila Douche is unbelievably funny. <laughs> just is always... If you haven't watched an episode of MXC, do it. Just go online and search MXC. Because it is so funny how they just took that Japanese game show and just made it the funniest Americanized thing in history. It is so great. Um, Captain Tennille. <laughs> Captain Tennille. I think Captain Tennille is my favorite character in MXC, and I'll tell you why. Captain Tennille, when he first starts, is... Um, let me just... I'll try and pick something off the top of my head. Um, question. Um, question. Do you think that having a... Um, a mentoring figure uh, helps you uh, do better in your s- do better and uh, get a more um, uh, substantial job. For that instance, Hand- show hands now. Yes, you're wrong. <laughs> it is just brilliant. You have to- if you haven't watched MXC, you have to do it. It is so funny. I watched I watched in year seven. It was on television every afternoon when I got home from school. It's just unbelievably funny. Oh, I just loved it. Okay. Um, we'll quickly get through the rest of it. Uh, top five movies. Um, top five, The Castle. Just quintessentially Australian. Unbelievable. Working Dog did an absolutely unbelievable feat with a really small budget. I can't say anything more about The Castle. It was just amazing movie made by amazing, very smart people with a great cast. No, um, Jane Kennedy did the cast for the castle, and she did, and she did it perfectly. Michael Caton, Eric Banner, um, Trio Moores, um, Dennis Denudo, uh, Charles Bud Tingwall, um, Stephen Curry, just top cast, and it worked so well. It is still a top movie, the castle. Really love watching it. For Life of Brian, well, that's just the standout of, um, even though a lot of people do say they like the Holy Grail, but I was most definitely on the Life of Brian. I loved the Life of Brian. What a great movie that was. Now, don't get me wrong, the Life of Brian, um, was just stupid, <laughs> but it was, they weren't trying to pander or take away any of the historical accuracy from it, but they still had to do Monty Python it. 
it was it was good. I I really enjoyed the Loft Run. Number three would be Smoking the Bandit. Smoking the Bandit. What else can you say? Chucker, um, uh, Burt Reynolds with Sal picks up Sally Field. Then Sally Fields's potential was going to be father-in-law. I future justice just chases him all across and he's just a piece of work. But then, yeah, trying to run beer from one state border to another to try and... It's, it's just a great movie. I absolutely love Smoking the Bandit. You've never watched that. That is a classic movie you have to watch. All these movies you should be watching, but yeah, Smoking the Bandit's really good. Uh, number two, The Blues Brothers. If you haven't watched The Blues Brothers, where have you been? Seriously, The Blues Brothers is just amazing in every single way. Like, their musical pieces, even though it was them two singing, was just incredible. Like, I still to this day love their musical pieces out of the Blues Brothers. But just the whole premise of the show, Carrie Fisher, when it was meant to actually originally be Olivia Newton-John, by the way, if you knew that, it was meant to be Olivia Newton-John, they got Carrie Fisher, and she just did that role perfectly. Um, but, just a cop scene at the end. Steven Spielberg was in that movie. He was the county clerk. I didn't know that till like... I've watched it like two or three times in the last two months. And it's just an amazing movie. I really, really enjoy watching um, I, The Blues Brothers. And I cannot wait for The Blues. Um, cannot wait to probably watch The Blues Brothers again. Because it's just an amazing movie. Um, and my top movie of all time is Airplane, because why not? Airplane is just unbelievably, um, it's just an unbelievable show, an unbelievable movie. Just stupid from minute one to minute done. It's just unbelievably funny. Um, every anecdote works, every single thing works. The cast was amazing. Like, you had, um, let me have a look. <laughs> I'm not good at this tonight. I really am not in a great tie. I'm a little bit tired. Let's put it this way. Um, Airplane had Peter Graves, Leslie Nielsen. Um, again, another brilliantly star-studded cast. Um, with great directors, David Zucker, Jim Abrams, Jerry Zucker, brilliant directors. Robert Hayes and Julie Haggerty, yeah, it was probably the best thing they ever did, but they had some great actors like Peter Graves, Leslie Nielsen, Lloyd Bridges, Robert Stack, just Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, says it all. He wasn't even acting, he's a basketball player. Just an unbelievable cast for such a funny movie, and I just love that movie. Just love it more than anything. Um, Oval Mansion's going to Sully. Really, I've watched Sully a few times now. Really, really enjoy it. Really, really do enjoy Sully. Great movie to watch. Um, if you're real, I don't know its accuracy. I've been told its accuracy has been brought into question, but still, I don't really care. It's a great movie. Um, Monsters, Inc. was my childhood quintessential movie. That and Snow Dogs. Snow Dogs was pandered. It was thrashed through the reviews. No one likes Snow Dogs, but I love Snow Dogs. I named our last dog after Demon out of Snow Dogs. That was back in 05. Yeah. But no, Monsters, Inc. 
was just amazing. If you haven't seen Moths, why? If you haven't seen any of these movies, why haven't you watched these movies? Monsters, Inc. is just unbelievable. But at the same time, so is Shrek 2. Shrek 2 is the best Shrek by a country mile. The end of that movie, just the ramp up to the end of that movie, the climax is just unbelievable. Very, probably the best animated climax to anything in history. Shrek 2, unbelievable movie. Unbelievable climax, unbelievable. And my other honorable mention is um, Tropic Thunder. Because Tropic Thunder is just so funny. <laughs> just a whole bunch. So, you've got Robbie Downey Jr., an American playing an Australian playing a black American. Yeah, just that. Ben Stiller, who's just a washed up actor. Jack Black, who's an even more washed up actor. <laughs> it is just unbelievable, that movie. And they all just chuck him out in the bush and tell him... You gotta survive this drug gang. Haven't seen it, go watch it. It's so funny. <laughs> I love it. Um, so there's all your movies. Um, and then the last point for tonight is PDC picks best five darts players in history. Well, it wasn't really PDC, it was more um Stuart Pike, um, Rod Studd and Wayne Mardle picked their five top dart players in history. And I've got nothing to add to that. I really don't really have anybody that can really make the list. So, fifth was Rain Van Barneveld, five-time world champion, one-time PDC world champion. Sadly, his career seemed to fizzle out. That's the whole reason why he's only fifth. Fourth was Gary Anderson. Um, longevity of Gary Anderson, two-time world champion, still playing unbelievably well. Just got that raw, natural talent. Great player, Gary Anderson. Number three is Eric Bristow, five-time world champion again. Um, unbelievable player, great player. Um, I, I really do think, well, but it all depends on the time that they played. They, Eric Bristow played in the 80s and early 90s. And Eric Bristow was one of those players who, he just had everything he could throw a really good average, he could beat anybody, but he could give it to him as well. Like, you didn't want to say anything bad in front of Bristow because he'd tear you to shreds. It's a real shame that he's gone. He um, passed away due to a heart attack at a Premier League meet a couple of years ago. Uh, number two is Michael Van Gerwen. What can I say about Van Gerwen? He's a freak. He goes out there, he's a three-time world champion, he can go out there, he can beat anybody in a very competitive field, convincingly. Average 120, and that's the end of that. Um, yeah, just a freak. Just the most talented, best player in history. Best gifted player in history. Best anybody's probably ever seen. But the best player in history, without a shadow of a doubt, is Taylor. His achievements just don't worry, just do not compare to anything else. Taylor just sets the benchmark. 16-time world champion, won over 200 events in his career. Um, yeah, Phil did everything, beat everyone, beat Bristow in his prime, beat Van Barneveld, beat Anderson, beat Van Gerwen... He's beaten everybody. And he's proven to himself he's the best that there ever will be. 
He can still go up today and average 110 quite easily. He did that. He did that for forty years. He beat Van Gerwen in a major final at the age of fifty-six when Van Gerwen was charging through. He made it to a world final when he at the end of that year. He got duly beaten six-two by um, Rob Cross, but no, no, you can't beat Taylor. Taylor is still the best player in history. Yeah, so I I do fully agree with that list that they ended up coming out with. Um, those three very astute PD, uh, darts commentators this morning, and Wayne Martel, who used to sums what used to play. He used to play a bit. He think he beat Taylor in a world final, but then really his career went downhill from there. But he did play for quite a while. And that's it. That is everything we've got tonight. And yes, we've been going for nearly an hour and ten minutes. So there you go. No, thank you. Uh, thank you for watching. Thank you for commenting. I thank you for everything. Um, we will be back this time next week with a, another helping hoopful of opinion and aviation news. Until then, have a very good rest of your week, and I will uh, see you next week, and I hope for all the best. Thank you.